Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Hallway Conversations on Epilepsy.com. My name is Dr. Joseph Servan. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Epilepsy.com. And today is Wednesday, June the 7th, 2017. One of the topics that we have discussed on our podcast has been that of status epilepticus uh, and other seizure emergencies. There's a lot of new understanding in terms of definition and syndromes and conditions that can occur with this. It's a confusing area, but I think we can make heads or tails and make sense of this uh, with fantastic experts in the field. Today, we have uh, an expert joining us, Dr. Nicholas Gaspard. He is from a department of neurology. He is a neurologist. Uh, in Brussels, Belgium, and he is also uh, a noted expert on uh, status epilepticus. And so, Nicholas, it is a pleasure to join, have you join us today on Hallway Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me, Dr. Servan. Well, let, let's kind of get uh, started. I know um, uh, we are so thankful and grateful that you're able to join us, especially from a, a distance um, uh, in Belgium. But first of all, can you, for our listeners, tell us about your current work in epilepsy and your particular role in the field so people can understand the context from which you speak? Sure. So I'm a a neurologist and clinical neurophysiologist with an interest in in critical care, uh, EEG and and neurology. So my my main uh, research and and clinical interest are in um, the prediction, detection, and treatment of acute electrographic seizures, the monitoring of brain dysfunction during critical illness, and, of course, status epilepticus. Fantastic. So this this helps us because we know that you'll have a background in dealing with these emergencies, which is such a... It was just so uh, unpleasant for families, obviously, because of how serious. But let's just get us started so that people know what we're talking about exactly. Can you define status epilepticus for us? And secondly, how common is it? So basically, status epilepticus is a, is a seizure that doesn't stop. Uh, most of the seizures last one to two minutes and would self-terminate you know, by themselves. And for reasons that we don't really understand in status epilepticus, what happens is that the mechanisms of seizure termination fail, and, and seizures go on and on and can last for minutes, even, even hours. It's not that uncommon. Actually, status epilepticus is the third most common neurological emergency after stroke and traumatic brain injury. Um, it's estimated that it affects between 10 to 40 individuals per 100,000 each year, depending on, you know, the setting the, the you're in, rural, urban, depending on the country. But it's, it's clearly a common and, and troublesome um, condition. No question. I know when we talk to patients, uh, it, it is such a uh, – so many people feel so helpless because of how difficult it is and, and just try to understand it. Uh, Nicholas, can – 
can you give us a sense, and, and this is really gets us to kind of today's conversation, uh, what is refractory status epilepticus? What does that mean uh, for everybody? So when a patient experiences status epilepticus, what, what guidelines recommend doctors to do is to give uh, an IV or IM benzodiazepine, lorazepam or diazepam or midazolam. And if that, that doesn't work to stop status, then, then you would give a second line, which usually is a, an IV, a conventional IV uh, anti-seizure medication, levetiracetam, valproic acid, or something that's available in, in, in IV formulation. If status continues despite these first two lines, uh, then you're into refractory status epilepticus. And... That refractory status is about 30% of all episodes of status, and it's a very severe form of status associated with a high level of, of mortality, but also functional disability, uh, even if it's if it's treated. Got it. That, in other words, so it represents about 30% of all status, but it is the most difficult to treat most difficult to treat and the one associated with the highest degree of morbidity and, and mortality, right? Okay. Can, can you know, what, in, in your thoughts, and, and you have this perspective because you're calling us uh, in from Europe and, and you obviously know the U.S. side as well, what, what are the current problems in how we manage refractory status epilepticus in, in our various areas? I mean, what, what are, what are the the biggest issues that seem to arise uh, in terms of uh, getting this emergency under control? So in, in, in my mind, there are three big issues. The, f the first one is um, that to manage refractory status, you have to have access to a um, critical care facility that that's, is obviously um, comfortable dealing with refractory status. So, uh, in, in you know, in developing countries, for instance, this is definitely a big issue because most um, hospitals don't don't have an intensive care unit where you can admit patients with refractory status. Uh, but even in, in, in countries uh, like the United States or even countries in, in Europe, um, some resources may not be available everywhere. Um, to, to treat refractory status, you need to have access to continuous EG monitoring, for instance. And this is, you know, this is something that's, that's becoming widely available, especially in the United States. Uh, it's more a problem in Europe where it's not available everywhere. Um, so you have to be able to manage your healthcare system in a way that patient can't be transferred to an institution where they can get access to kind of EG monitoring. So resource availability is, is, is a big issue almost, almost everywhere. And the second issue is that we have very little uh, available evidence um, on how to treat refractory status. So when you fail the second line, what's um, what the guidelines recommend are to start a continuous infusion of a sedative drug, midazolam, propofol, barbiturates. Um, the, we, we don't know uh, which one of these agents is, is the most uh, appropriate. We don't know how much of these agents we should give. We don't know for how long we should uh, keep the patient under anesthesia. We don't know how to wean the patient from anesthesia. There's clearly a lack of of high-quality data on which we can base or, or practice. So 
we follow, you know, experts' recommendation, and and we have some experience in what we do. But clearly, there is a lack of of good quality evidence to to guide our practice, and, and surely there is a lack of of uh, randomized controlled trial in in the field. And the third issue uh, is that sometimes we don't know what we're treating. Um, the treatment of status is, is a very symptomatic treatment. We prescribe drugs and then more drugs and then even more drugs to stop the seizure. And we don't really uh, focus on the etiology of, of status until very late, often very late in the, in the course of, of, of status. And there may be situations in which this is detrimental to the patient. Um, if you take, for instance, autoimmune encephalitis, which can cause seizures in status, um, Seizures and status in the two immune encephalitis, they don't respond really well to, to conventional anti-seizure medication, uh, but they do respond quite well to immune therapies. So sometimes uh, we, we may be facing tough cases of refractory status uh, that may be caused by one of these autoimmune or inflammatory uh, disorders, and if we don't pay attention to, to the etiology and we don't um, ad adapt the treatment to the etiology, we may be under-treating uh, the patient or at least not managing the patient in, 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 the, best way, in the best way we can. Understood. You know, one of, uh, Nicholas, one of the terms that seems to come up often in uh, medical meetings and, uh, and that we all trying to kind of put our arms around is something called NORSE. Um, can you tell us what is NORSE? What does it stand for? Um, and and just to kind of understand that particular word, which we see used a little more often than we ever used to. So the term Norris was coined a bit over 20 years ago to describe a subset of uh, a patient with de novo super refractory status epilepticus um, of a known and clear etiology uh, with a terrible outcome. Um, since the initial description, there have been plenty of reports of, of, of such cases, uh, and, and the term itself has, has evolved with, with time. So NOR stands for New Onset Refractory Status Epilepticus. Um, and, you know, status epilepticus is, in 50% of the cases, is due to an acute condition. It occurs in patients with no history of epilepsy. Most of the time, the, the etiology is, is obvious from, from the onset, you know, basic clinical examination, basic tests like CAT scan or, or lab tests uh, usually identify the stroke or the traumatic brain injury that, that's causing the status. But in roughly 10 to 20% of, of cases of refractory status, uh, the etiology isn't, isn't obvious uh, at, at, at the onset. Um, and sometimes, uh, in, in these cases, you will find a cause after a very, very thorough uh, workup, but sometimes, sometimes you won't. Um, so the term NORS from the um, initial description where it really applied to a very, very um, selected group of patients, the term NORS is now applied to more widely to this group of patients who comes in the hospital um, with de novo refractory status and no obvious etiology at, at, at onset. Um, and this is a very troublesome situation because there are close to 200 uncommon causes to status epilepticus. So when you've excluded the obvious ones, uh, you're, you're, you're stuck with a patient that might have one of these 200 
possible causes of, of status. And it's a very, very complex uh, situation to, to manage, especially since you're in a rush, you're in the emergency room or in an ICU, uh, you're focusing on, on, on seizure control, um, and, and you have to keep in mind that, that there might be a cause behind, behind the status that may require specific treatment. Uh, and, and this is a situation where usually uh, clinicians might, might feel a bit lost uh, and, and uncomfortable um, dealing with. So, you know, in the term NORS, there seems to be two different uh, meanings. One is um, stat- refractory status that has no obvious cause from onset. And these cases where, despite a very thorough uh, workup, you never find uh, the etiology. Right. And these are slightly, two slightly different uh, situations that have been called uh, NORS in, in, in the past. Can you get now? I know that, uh, and one of the reasons that we we have you here uh, with us uh, today is that there was a recent consensus conference, uh, a conference to basically, you know, have a a, a uniform uh, agreement on what terms to use and what specific terms uh, mean with regards to conditions and. I guess my next question, can you tell us about that that recent conference? And then secondly, what was the final definition for the condition? Right. So we, we had a consensus conference um, uh, that was sponsored by the Norse Institute and, and the Daniel Wong Foundation founded at Yale University. The, the conference took place uh, in Salzburg, Austria, the day prior to the uh, Acute seizure and status opleticus uh, colloquium, um, and we, we we gather a series of experts from Europe, from the United States, from the adult world, from the pediatric world, to uh, come up with operational definitions for these very difficult clinical situations. Um, we 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 wanted to have a clear terminology that could be used for research, but also for for, for clinicians. So we defined NORS um, as refractory status epilepticus that occurs in a patient with no history of active epilepsy and no obvious uh, etiology identified within two to three days of the onset of status, which is basically the time you need to rule out brain masses, stroke, traumatic brain injury, anoxic brain injury, uh, and herpes and encephalitis. So this is NORS. Um, okay. and, and then we also recognized that there was a subgroup of patients with NORS, which ultimately uh, would have an identified etiology, uh, most probably autoimmune encephalitis. So these would be referred to as uh, autoimmune encephalitis presenting with, with NORS. But then there is a subgroup of patients uh, in which, despite all the investigation you, 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 can, you can do, you, you never find uh, an etiology. And, and, and this group of patients would be referred to as uh, cryptogenic NORS or NORS of, of a known etiology. And this is very, very much similar to the initial description uh, of NORS 20, 25 years um, ago. And then we, we, you know, we included uh, child neurologists and child epileptologists in, in, in the expert panel because we wanted to bridge the gap between uh, the pediatric world and the adult world, 
Um, NORS is, was initially described in, in adults, and the term has been used mostly in adults since, since then. But there is this very similar condition called FIRES in, in children. Uh, FIRES stands for febrile illness, um, related epileptic syndrome. It's very, very similar to NORS, except that to qualify for, for FIRES, you need to have a febrile illness preceding the onset of refractory status. And actually, many cases of NORS do have a febrile illness uh, in, in the week or so prior to the, to the onset of seizures and status. And in children, a few children have a syndrome very similar to fires, uh, but don't have the preceding febrileness. Whether it was not documented or never happened it, it isn't clear. So to us, it felt like Norse and fires were very, very similar and, and could be applied, both terms could be applied to children and adults. So we, we, uh, we had our pediatric colleagues um, discuss with us, and we agreed that FIRES was, in fact, a, a, should, should be defined as a subset of NORS in, in, in which uh, a febrile illness preceded the, uh, the onset of, of, of status. So these are basically the main definitions we, we, we came up with. We had to define, you know, or at least provide uh, clear definitions for uh, refractory status, prolonged status, and things like that. But this is this is the main core definition for Norse and, and fires. That is fantastic because that that helps me at least understand that, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. Can so you have these definitions? Uh, you're obviously talking to me. We we put this on epilepsy.com. What what are your next steps in disseminating this definition? Because oftentimes we hear from patients that that they may know something like this where we're changing a definition, a classification, but sometimes the physicians that they're treating wherever they are in the world or the United States or Europe, they are not using the same uh, term. So how, how, do you, how, how are you all planning to disseminate this with the audience so people embrace it uh, so that we all know what we're talking about? So we, we, we held a symposium. Um, on the same day, we, we had a consensus uh, conference um, so still in, in, in Salzburg, Austria, um, the proceedings of the symposium and the definitions uh, will, be, will be published uh, soon. In, in the meantime, we, we posted on the website of the Norse Institute, that is norseinstitute.org, one word, no, no capital letter. Uh, we posted the slides from, from the symposium. Uh, we posted the uh, short version of the, of the definitions for people to, to look at if, if, if they wish so. Uh, we also posted on the website information on management of refractory status, suggestion for workup of patients with, with NORS and, and, and fires. We are planning to uh, another symposium in, in two years from now, uh, again, the day prior to the, uh, to the next acute seizures in, in status epilepticus colloquium, which will be in London in, in two years. Uh, next year, we should have a symposium on NORS and fires in the United States. Um, we will be present, of course, at, at professional meetings, AES, AAN, uh, the Neurochemical Society. Uh, yeah, we plan to try to, to disseminate information to families and, 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 and patients, but also to, to physicians, because as you rightly point out, uh, people may know the name, but they may not know what, what to do with, with, with the name and how to, to manage these, these patients. That's very, very helpful. Well, Nicholas, we are in our last uh, minute or so of, uh, of our discussion this morning. What take-home mes message or other issues 
you want to make sure that any of our listeners out there walk away from this uh, so that they know this is the, the main issue that, that they should understand about uh, Norse or, or any of these conditions for that matter? Well, I hope that as we, we move forward, um, clinicians that are facing uh, or managing patients with, with NORS and fires will know will not feel like they are stuck in a dead end and they're just dealing with something they, they don't know, they will never know what it is, but maybe that they will see that this is an opportunity for very um, specific workups and it may uh, unravel uh, information about the patient and the reason why he's in status that may improve patient care. So this is something I hope um, we can we can convince people. Um, the other thing is that there is still a lot of uh, uncertainty surrounding the diagnosis, the prognosis of these conditions, and this is something that's very very difficult to uh, live with as, as a physician, and it's very difficult to live with when you're, when you're a patient or when you're a family of a, uh, and your loved one is, is uh, suffering from Norris on fi- or fires. Uh, and there is clearly a need for um, better communication between physicians and, and families. Uh, let's not be afraid of using the word. Let's not be afraid of, of saying that we don't know exactly what it is, but but that it is what it is. Um, we, we need to uh, communicate better between physicians and between physicians and, and, and families on these rare but, but very devastating um, conditions. Well, that is so true advice. I can't uh, agree with you more. Uh, Nicholas, I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, today on Hallway Conversations. Uh, I hope that as things evolve that we can have you come back and talk to us about other aspects of status epilepticus and Norse um, as, as, it, as things evolve in the future. Well, thank you very much. I'd be really glad to, to come again and give you more more information and hopefully uh, news and, 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 and research updates on the question. Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Servan. Oh, it has been a pleasure. We've been talking to Dr. Nicholas Gaspard. He is a neurologist, critical care neurologist. He is at the Department of Neurology. He's in Brussels, Belgium, and he's been talking to us about Norse. He has given us a, a summation of the consensus conference on the definition of that term. More can be found on that consensus conference at norse.org. Is that correct? Norse Institute. Uh, NorseInstitute.org. Uh, so NorseInstitute, one word, dot org, where people can find additional information as well. Um, and uh, Nicholas, again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. My pleasure. To everyone out there, this has been Hallway Conversations. Uh, my name is Dr. Joe Servan, Editor-in-Chief of, of Epilepsy.com, and I hope you join us again for future podcasts on our site uh, in the upcoming weeks and months. Thanks again and have a great day.